This episode of The Spike, we welcome property and social media expert, Joe Taylor. You're going to hear all about how Joe started in business from tie-dyeing t-shirts in his kitchen to being a property investor that he is now. I really wanted to get Joe on because I've seen the work that he does, gets the amazing results, but also because I know there's an interesting story behind it. So as a bit of background for our listeners, Joe, can you just explain a bit about what you do? Yeah, so I own a social media marketing agency based in Leeds. So we help property investors and real estate professionals uh, generate more leads, sales and bookings through Facebook and Instagram advertising. Uh, also a property investor myself, we invest in Huddersfield. Yeah, perfect. Before we just dive into those, what, what was school like for you? So school I remember like- obviously you're close with Elliot, aren't you? Remember I asked him this question. He was telling me stories about him jumping out of windows and stuff. So I thought I'd have to <laughs> ask you as well. I wasn't as rebellious as Elliot, let's say. I did the work. I got the exams. You know, it generally was a breeze for me. I wasn't the AA star student, but yeah, definitely wasn't jumping out of windows or anything. I was just kind of turned up and just did my thing, really. Yeah, not nothing really untoward, to be fair. Yeah. And then did you go to university or did you just dive straight yeah. in? So um, I was going to go to university. I was going to study international business management at the University of Newcastle. Deferred my place. Uh, and that's when I first started my first business with Elliot, which I'm not sure if we told you about. It's EJ Events, which was like a corporate events business that we started Yeah, when I was 18. So yeah, didn't go to university. Deferred, then deferred again. And then just thought, you know what? I'm just going to go do my own thing and, and find my own path, really. See, it is one of those things, isn't it? People either go because they're just really unsure what they want to do. But I know someone... I'm not going to say his name, but he went and studied like religious studies and now works in sales. And I'm just like, mm, why did you go? <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. And there's a lot of people say, oh, the experience. And I was speaking to our sales coach yesterday and he was like, well, what that experience could you not get from going traveling or going working for a year? Cause I was like, oh, the contacts you make. And it's like, well, I would have graduated like last year, I think. And I was like, I think I probably have better contacts in that sense than someone that did go so it- i think and I, I think it stems from a lot of you know parents put pressure on kids to go to university they actually don't really want to go themselves and we say about the experience and the contacts like i i know my contact book now would not be anywhere that it was you know if i if i did go to university you know i'd be, I'd be going out getting drunk you know doing my thing you know which is fine but getting in the real world and, and doing it for yourself you know just brings vast amounts of experience and kind of life lessons to you I personally do, but do you feel like you're miles ahead now as if you would have gone miles to uni? Ahead. Miles ahead, like in my contact books now, like I've got, you know, multi-million pound property developers that, you know, I can just ring up and say, look, this is a deal. Do you want to come on in it? You know, 18 months ago, two years ago, you know, I wouldn't have known that. And then definitely if I wanted to go to university, I wouldn't have had them contact. So I feel like, yeah, I mean, I just feel like I'm in a different space than I was 100%. It's different maturity levels as well. I think a lot of people say, oh, well, you go to uni, you mature, you move out. And it's like, well, don't you mature going to work? I remember like my first like office job, I was sat behind someone that was in their fifties. They're not going to listen to this. I'll call them the wrong age. They'll be fine. And they're like mid fifties. And I'm like, I matured being sat next to them because I couldn't really have like immature chats with someone my age. I was having chats like, what's the weather like? And trying to make that little small talk when you're there, like, okay, right. Well, this is actually how you have to try to speak to different people. Not just I'm in a uni dorm, just speaking of Jaeger bombs and stuff like that. Like you actually have to <laughs> mature yourself quite quickly, which I think a lot of people overlook when you talk about uni. I did a LinkedIn post saying I thought it was a waste of time and I still get hate to this day from it. I just like randomly will get like, this person's liked it. I'm like, why? It's like four months ago I wrote it. I don't get why people are still going back to it. It's like, if I do something good, they're like, right, what can I pick off that I don't like about him? Oh, he slated uni once. Let's terrorize him for that. The start of the podcast, I wrote it and I like, it still, still happens. Now, this is going to be episode 14. 
That's 14 weeks and it's it's still going on. It's a nightmare. So obviously you mentioned property. Obviously you're a property investor now. You help property investors. You said about Huddersfield. Where did the passion for property start? Yeah. So in February of last year, I went to like one of these, you've probably seen like these free crash course events that they do. You go to a hotel and they teach you all about the property strategies. And it was, it was really then that I opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to, you know, actually, you know, people are making, you know, tens and tens of thousands, millions, you know, through property investment and property development. I thought, you know, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, actually, that, that, was, that was another thing that I read. And I thought, you know, liabilities versus assets. And, you know, as, you know, as, as the middle class, we're taught to, you know, go get a job, you know, pay for your expenses. And we really t- get taught about investing, crypto. And I thought, actually, this is something that I could get into. And, and I kind of lost them limiting beliefs because I thought, I'm going to have to be 30, 40 or even 50 to get into property. Um, but now my business partner, he's in essence my investor. So I invest in property using none of my own money, which is you know the way to scale fast and build your own portfolio. So a lot of people think I've got to spend, you know, save up 30 grand to buy one house. That's just the old way of doing it. And these kind of strategies and, and kind of courses uh, teach you on that. And I just thought, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm only 20, but I can get into property. And obviously that's what we're in the process of doing. So obviously you have your property side of stuff and you have your ads, Facebook ads and stuff like that. How important do you think they are to business nowadays? Oh, massively. And I think the pandemic has actually shown that, I mean, especially for local businesses um, as well. Uh, obviously for e-commerce, you know, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. But even for local businesses, you know, like your local hairdressers, your local barbers, you know, getting brand awareness out there, you know, reaching people in your local area. You know, I feel like every business should be advertising on Facebook. And I don't think people, like business owners, don't know about the, you know, the organic reach and how little it is. You know, it's like one to two percent. The 98% of you, in essence, your audience are not seeing your posts, not seeing your content, not seeing your offers. So I, I believe there's no excuse for any businesses to not be running Facebook ads in this day and age anyway, because it's just, you know, getting in front of your target customer, you know, men between the ages of 30 to 50 who have an interest in barbers who live in Leeds, for example, you know, that is so powerful. And it's at the business owner's fingertips. A lot of them just don't realize the extent as to what it can do for you and what it can do for your business. So I think that it's more about education on the subject. Because mm, I was out with one of my friends who's a barbershop and I said to him, have you never done Facebook ads? He's like, no. I was like, you're in a small town where there's like four barbers. I was like, you could be on everyone's Facebook or the, all the other people are searching for not you, search another person and you're going to be all over their Facebook. I was like, if you had like a decent video, a couple before and after shots, you will take their customers. Without a doubt. And a lot of people, I think, see Facebook ads and they're like, oh yeah, it works really well for those e-coms companies. That's it really. Well, it, no, it doesn't. All it can work clients, for anything. All my clients are either, I said, property. I've got a couple of local businesses. Or I've actually got a barbers, high-end barbers. So yeah, we just did a, a really sick promotional video. We did an offer and boom, the footfall just absolutely, you know, obviously went through the roof. So that, yeah, there's just no excuse for, for any business really, any B2C business anyway. For us, if we wanted to find applicants for a job, it's all good and stuff like that. But where our stuff's like one day, sometimes it feels, it's like you'd get it up and then you'd already filled it from a job board. And it's an interesting one, but I guess if you're looking up doing more, so if we were looking to speak to more managing directors or business owners, we know what they're searching, then it's worth doing it. But I do think your B2Cs, even like estate agents is a prime example, they should all be using Facebook ads or car dealerships. The amount of times I like have like car dealerships come up on mine, I just like view them. I'm not even looking for a new car. But I will sit and just like view all of it, and then I remember the brand name. And that's that. And then you get hit. Then you get hit with the retargeting, and then they're at the forefront of your mind again. And you know that's how you ultimately make you know great business. Yeah, and that's obviously the business side of branding. But I think there's something that we've realised recently is how important personal branding is within a business. So the people in there, and obviously you're quite big on personal branding and and stuff like that. How important do you think that is as well? 
all my clients are inbound. So every single client, so we've got about 12 clients on at the moment, all inbound. And that's purely through providing value through Facebook groups. So in the property world, everyone's quite well connected. So there's, you might have heard of Progressive Property. There's all these communities, you know, with thousands and thousands of investors. And I just used to go in there, post value, post results, show how, you know, how it can, you can grow your property business, you know, through Facebook ads. And then off the back of that, I got invited onto a webinar to around 80 investors. Obviously did my pitch and then sold some training off the back of that. So obviously made quite a lot of money off the back of that. That was one aspect. Uh, number two, I partnered up with another investor who's ve- she's very well known and I run her Facebook as now. Uh, and again, she shared me to all her network. She's, you know, got, you know, 30,000 connections on LinkedIn, massive. Uh, and then off the, again, that's through personal branding, posting value, building relationships. And then number three, I got, um, I did a, like a similar to this, like a podcast slash live training with one of my other clients who is also a big investor. Uh, he has a community of around 5,000 people on Facebook. So again, just from positioning myself as an expert, you know, posting value, posting results, you know, it's literally grown my business from nothing to, you know, in essence, a six-figure business today. So I think especially with, unless we're talking about huge companies like Apple, Amazon, and people like that, the people in the business is the business. It's, it's as simple as that, unless you're selling an amazing product. But even Manet Devoir, we can prime example of that. I think everyone knows Bruce Babora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's prime example of that. And I think that especially like for us, example, we post a lot on LinkedIn and stuff like that. And a lot of people will know the person before the business in our industry. And I think even stuff like barbershops, anywhere like that's still so important. I think like barbers are one of the most loyal things. Everyone's so loyal to their barber. It's that thing that all boys say, isn't it? No, I'd never cheat my barber. I'm so loyal to them. And I think that for us, like personal branding is everything. But obviously, you, like you said, you've built everything your business well from all inbound leads, you know, personal branding and stuff like that. If someone else wanted to do something similar, everything inbound, what tips would you give them? Number one, provide value into what into whatever you're doing. So in your post, don't, don't be selling. Social media is not the place to be selling. It's to be showcasing what you do, how you do it, and obviously what results you get. Number two, I would say just be transparent with the with what you do. So, you know, maybe talk about if a campaign isn't being successful, then talk about, you know, a successful campaign and why it is being successful. So inform, educate, and provide value. Don't go in thinking, right, I'm going to go and make this sale. I'm going to try to sell to you and come across as spammy. And that's all that you're in for because people see through that. And that's not ultimately how you build a tribe of, you know, you know, loyal fans. It is true, isn't it? Like if you connect to someone on LinkedIn, do not copy and paste them a sales message. Oh, that's me. We get it. And I, and I get really petty some days. I had someone sent me like a 17 paragraph message on LinkedIn. And I was just like, you, we've connected like 30 seconds ago. I was like, oh. and I just went along with it. And I'd play this game where I'll, you know, the automatic responses. I'll just see how long I can have a conversation for just pressing them. And I've, I've had it where I've like booked meetings in. I'm like, oh, I kind of took this bit too far this time. <laughs> and he's like, because you can just like put the thumbs up. Oh, Wednesday, thumbs up, 4 p.m. <laughs> it's like, surely you would have caught on now because everyone knows the generic responses, like the thanks, comma, Joe. But no one really right so that on linkedin the messages it is that thing isn't it if you are gonna just try spam people on platforms like that you get caught out for it quickly then people talk about it people get really annoyed by it i remember someone on one of our team did it and the guy wrote a post about it on linkedin being like oh i've just been spammed by a recruiter i just slated him really and i was just been like oh you need to be so careful now because then that is the personal branding side of things they're looking at that going you're just a spammy person you're not credible I'm never going to listen to something you say. Whereas if you just try to add value to people, then they'll come to you because they want to use you. And they're like, oh, well, you helped me by not even knowing because you put something out that made me realize this about my business. Exactly that. Well, so you seem quite passionate about sort of all the business that you do. And I'm just really wondering, like, where did that all start? I know obviously where the property passion started, but where for sort of for the whole business mind, where did that all start? 
Yeah, so I, I started my first business when I was 14. So um, I imported T-shirts from China, put my logo. It's called Taylor Unco. Used to go to a local embroider, obviously get it embroidered. Used to do that, you know, the tie-dye. You know, I remember when tie-dye was popular back in the day. <laughs> so me and my mum used to tie-dye the T-shirts, these like plain T-shirts in my kitchen. And they used to just sell them at school, sell them to friends of friends, sell them like, in the local area. And so I always had a kind of desire to kind of just be a bit different and make money. I've always thought I, I kind of never really fully fit in. And it, well, I never fully fitted in at school just because I always thought a little different. I thought it was more mature, well, quite mature for my age. So yeah, that was my first entrepreneurial virtue. Then the second one was, obviously, remember CDs? We used to have CDs, didn't we? Um, not none of the Spotify and Apple Music. So I used to... Um, burn like the top like top hits like top 10 hits put them onto a cd and then sell them on for like three quid so yeah that was my second journey and then yeah just always had a knack for kind of doing stuff being a little bit different a bit creative and you know now it's you know just just a dream of you know becoming obviously really successful and you know having all, a lot of nice things that tie-dye face does need to stay in the past though i do see people trying to bring it back with like night socks on like tiktok and i'm just like no come on someone that works works here at hm they used to do the tie-dye stuff as well and it just, it just there's always that couple of people in your area that did it and they've, all, they've all gone on and like set up their own thing like johnny that did it he's like set up like a, a charity taking bikes out to africa and everyone that you speak to that used to do it have all gone on and done different business ventures but you can see where their business mind started Generally, these entrepreneurs that maybe start something, you know, sell the, the, the typical selling sweets or, you know, selling whatever fidget spinners. It stems from that kind of desire to, I don't know, I guess, earn a little bit of money and be a little bit different. Yeah. See, now I think that the generation is like trying to do like drop shipping. I see like 16 and 17 year olds talking to me about it. And I'm like, what? I'm just like, oh, just enjoy, enjoy yourself while you can. Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I get it because people are wanting to make money when they're a lot younger, but. I remember who we were speaking to the other day and they were like, oh, at 15, I was working full time. I had two businesses. And I was like, that's, that's, that's amazing. I was like, but did you actually live your childhood? They're like, no. I was well, like, ah. I had two 14-year-olds. I'm not going to name them. Probably in the last month or so, like, messaged me about property investing. I was like, God, at 14 years old, I was, you know, just having fun, you know, doing tie-dye in my kitchen. I didn't know property investment was a thing, you know, at that age. It's filtering down to the younger ages, you know, 14, 15, you know, you need to be, well, I don't want to tell you how to tell your life, but investing in property, it's just crazy at that age, in my opinion. 14, what was I doing at 14? I was out on my bike going past a place I was allowed to go on it probably, or like meeting up with like girls or whatever. Like I was yeah. not focused on property and, and it's crazy. It's, it's the whole generation's changed. The whole it's time, of the times, isn't it? Society thinks that getting your own home is an amazing achievement. I say to people, what's the bigger flex? Buying a house that's going to cost you money, that's a liability, is going to you know really take your money away, or buying a house that you're going to get rent from till the day you die. Um, and I think once people kind of see that shift, it's like, actually, you know, if, if I delay my gratification, buy a property that makes me money and off the back of that money, then go and buy myself a house. In my opinion, that's a bigger flex. And I'm not about flexing, but I think the financially literate way to do it in my opinion is, is to do like that and you know some people agree some people disagree but i'm you know i'm 21 still living at home and you know i plan to kind of live lean for the next couple of years and then once i have you know assets to pay for that then i'll get a flat then i'll get a house but as i said i'm probably like yourself i'm, I'm in no rush because i, I want to do things the financial literate way the other thing I was going to mention is obviously work-life balance. So you speak to a lot of young entrepreneurs that they'll say on social media, they'll say everywhere, oh no, you've got to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or the ones that say, oh, 26 hours, eight days a week. And they're like, I've just been sick in my mouth a little bit from that. But it's the whole like, hustle 
thing, isn't it? The mindset, isn't it? Where everyone's like, oh, you have to be hustling. And that's the thing about the 14 year olds. And now messaging you about property, they're 14, but it's that thing of, oh, hustle, 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 which I think puts a really bad spin on a work-life balance. And obviously COVID came and that was such a big, big, big talking point. But how important do you find work-life balance? Yeah, I value it now more than I did. So in the first years of business, you know, we were doing 12 hour days, you know, leaving the house at seven, you know, even get back at nine, 10, absolutely exhausted, you know, working weekends. And I really kind of lost the sense of actually going out and having fun and de-stressing. I think it's because a couple of things. I think number one, obviously the business is in a better position than what it was. I think number two, obviously I've got a girlfriend now, actually, and I think that actually plays a big part. Like I've got a lot of time to go out and enjoy stuff and we do a lot of things on the weekend. And, and I really find time to kind of, you know, work hard during the week. You know, my hours now are probably like nine till six now. So still pretty decent days. Um, but then, you know, after six o'clock, it's either, we, you know, we'll go out, we'll go to the cinema, we'll go for food on a weekend. You know, we'll do weekends and we'll have fun. And that actually refreshes me and de-stresses me, you know, from kind of, you know, the day to day. I do believe being an entrepreneur is not a nine to five. You know, I'll, I'll sometimes message clients at eight, nine at night, or I'll have to do something, work on the laptop late. Uh, and that's all part of the process. It's all part of you know the game that we're in. So yeah, you don't have to do 12 hour days every single day for eight days a week. But if you just expect an easy life, nine to five, you know, in my opinion, entrepreneurship and to get to that next height, you know, if you, if you're comfortable, you know, and in a couple of grand a month, you know, your business is sweet, you know, you're doing a couple, you know, not, not working too hard, then you're absolutely fine. But I think to hit the next levels and the, the higher highs, you know, to, for me, exactly. I, you know, I want to you know be a millionaire. That's that's one of the st- the one of the goals I want to achieve. Um, I'm not going to get that from just you know turning up bla- in in a blase fashion. What do you think is the biggest mistake people make when it comes to investing pro- in property? Not knowing the numbers and the comparables. So, for example, you know the, there's a London investor that buys a property for 70k. He needs around 40k's worth doing, but the top value might only be like 80k. So you might spend you know. 40k on it but it's only worth 80k so you, you in essence losing out 30k so i feel like people that don't know the numbers properly property is a numbers game uh you know knowing what what the purchase price is what the refer value is going to be what you can rent out at what the yield is going to be knowing all these numbers you know are critical when you're making you know a good investment in the, in the strategy that we follow which is we buy it we refurbish it and then we refinance it so we can pull money out and then go ahead and recycle and do again and that's where i feel that people just don't do this is 70k it's a cheap house but if it needs you know 50k worth doing but it's only going to be worth 80k you know it's just it's not obviously a sound investment so yeah i would say just knowing your numbers and knowing your goal money Obviously, the whole point in the show, as you might be aware, is that we want to help our listeners identify what their spike is. What I mean by that is what you possess, basically, or they possess that's unique to yourself or them that makes them stand out in a crowded marketplace, really. So what do you think your spike is? In terms of being a property investor, I think the knowledge and the kind of resources that I've built up you know, at such a young age. So I've got you know fantastic relationships with my estate agents. They send me deals before they go on the market. I build that up and I can take that as value to investors. Look, I'm, you know, I might be only 21, but I've got these connections. I know the area, I can get you deals. So I think in terms of property, that's the kind of slightly different. There's not many young, I mean, there is young property investors, of course, but certainly where I'm from in investing in this area, um, you know, I don't know, you know, of any. Uh, and number two, in terms of my social media, I think it's, we're so niche down into property. So I am, we market for property investors by a property investor himself. Again, we're not a generalistic marketing agency. You know, we don't do e-com, you know, it's purely legion. So I taught the kind of property language, you know, direct to vendor, GDV, you know, all these little acronyms and words that I know I can speak to, you know, when I speak to a client, they, they instantly know that 
I know what I'm. I know what they're after. If that makes sense. So I think in terms of practical, yeah, they're the two kind of things that I kind of slightly different to another agency or, or that kind of thing. How do you think your spike has impacted then in your business? Oh, massively, massively. So my business partner in the property business now, he's the brother of one of my social media marketing clients, and I don't believe that connection would have come through, you know, if I hadn't served his him and his company in the way that I've done. So again, I feel like harnessing the relationships, building that value, was ultimately, you know open my connections and you know made a business partner and you know that i've got in james who's you know who's a fantastic individual so yeah i think that's through what i've preached really and what spikes do you look for in people around you i like people that one that push me to go further so you know there's, there's a guy that i met in birmingham a couple of days ago so a guy called pen archer and he's you know a couple of years younger than me and he's got like you know five six in-house staff and you know scaling and that and after spending a couple of days with him and his business in his office i was like shit like you know, this is inspiring, like, you know, at this age doing these kind of things. And yeah, being around people like that is just, you know, I come back to my office and it's like, right, it's time to get on, time to grow, time to scale. And it, it just motivates me like like hell, to be honest. I think that is the, one of the biggest challenges in business is staffing. Oh, it's fine as well. Like managing people. Oh, it's a fun, fun thing. <laughs> and Ellie Joe, who's, who's presented this amazing thing, I, I don't have to manage her at all or anything like that. She manages me, if anything. She just tells me what to do. She's like the real boss of the office. What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Yeah, so I would say is number one, get educated in the subject. Before you start networking, before you start calling yourself an investor or a social media marketer, get educated, do the groundwork, you know, buy the car. Like I, I did, I'm part of the Affluent Academy, you know, I don't know if you know Jordan Platten. Uh, and that was the single most best investment I ever made. It's, it's literally what's helped me start from, you know, not knowing anything about Facebook as to, to building business that I'm in now. So I would say get educated, number one. Number two, then I would say get networking. So once you've got the education, once you know your strategy, your area, et cetera, then go ahead and start connecting with business owners, with other investors. And then number three, I'd say just be consistently taking action. You know, it's as simple as that. You might show up for one week and then not show up for three weeks. You know, and that's not the way to build a business. It's just constant in my opinion, 1% every day, marginal gains. So if you think, you know, now I'm going to do, I'm going to be a millionaire in six months, you know, it's just it's not realistic, is it? Unless you, you know, buy him a crazy crypto or whatever. <laughs> yeah, or, or you suddenly become as good as football as Mbappe and then you, you get a pretty big deal straight away. You, you might be able to, but it's, it's unrealistic, isn't it? So finally, what's the best bit of advice someone has ever given you? I used to work at um, Miller on Carter. I don't know if you've heard of the chain. Um, so I was about 17 then and I was doing kitchen pottering. So, but my boss, who was the head chef, said one thing to me and it stuck with me to this day. He said, whatever you do, be the best at it that you can be in that, whether that's a job or a business. Uh, and that stuck with me ever since. So whenever, whenever we deliver stuff for clients, it's is that the best we can possibly do? Am I being the best that I possibly can? Um, and that's one piece of advice that's stuck with me to this day. As always, if you did enjoy this episode, please hit follow on your favorite podcast platform and at the Spike Pod across all social media.